I will not repent. Greetings! It is I, the Count! The Count! They call me the Count because I love to count things. In fact, I am looking for some things to count right now. You can be all sensible and organized together and make lots of lists. Make, 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 make lists. All right, ladies and gentlemen, and now it's time for my newest edition of The Unrepented List Man. What we got going on for you today is our top 10 villains. <laughs> all right. So coming up with a list of top 10 villains is actually a lot more difficult than you think. You thought picking directors was bad. I, I think I actually had a much harder time picking my uh, favorite villains because on one hand, are these people you just love to hate people who are so brilliant and maniacally awesome. They're at the top of the list or maybe even the anti-hero. So once I had to, you know, sit down and make this list, I had to eliminate the anti-hero. So no Walter White, no Dexter Morgan. Uh, what? Uh, well, they're the anti. Yeah. They're the anti-heroes. So much, you know, maybe that's I don't a think different would list. Call like Walter White the villain of Breaking Bad. I would. Tony Soprano. I would. I would probably call him more of a villain than. Because I, looked, you, I mean, you I call him a list. villain, maybe. Yeah. I, don't know. I looked at uh, your list online, so that changes things a little bit. <laughs> Well, yes, yes, it does. But I mean, I feel like there's hardly anything going today of the good television shows we're talking about, where the what we would call historically the protagonist isn't anti-heroic in a lot of ways. Right, and there's a line we have to draw a line. And you threw out your number one. I I told you I I threw out my anti-heroes because you know what? Once you eliminate the Dexter Morgan, Walter White, their motivations were clearly. For the good of mankind, mm-hmm. although you could argue that De- Dexter yeah, was going to I was thinking like Tony Soprano, because he's going around killing all these people and, and getting protection money and running all right. these rackets. But he's like doing it so his daughter, he can afford tuition for her to go to Columbia and stuff. Right, right, right. I mean, that, I mean, it's not even the greater good. I, I guess the, like, that's the, we have to define where we're going to draw the line between villain and anti-hero. Uh, but for today... This is what I got. So strictly bad guys, uh, for the most part, strictly bad guys. But I would argue that some of these bad guys are very sympathetic. Their motivations may not be heroic or anti-heroic. They're coming from maybe a place you understand, but they're still bad as fuck. Like I understand, but I wouldn't go that way. Right. Okay. So uh, my number two. I told you the list has actually changed a little bit since we've uh, first sent out this version or whatever you looked online. Uh, but my number ten. Is from a science fiction show that came on about 10 years ago. Last for five seasons, I believe it was. It is the reincarnation of Battlestar Galactica. So you might be asking, which one's the villain? Well, Trisha Helfer's number six is my number 10 villain. Not only is she a religious zealot, she also manages to somehow occupy the Gaius Baltar's mind throughout the entirety of the series. And you don't actually know if it's a real manifestation or if there's something existential going on. I know who you're talking about. I think she's, she's, she's very, I think she's hotter than a six. (laughs) (laughs) Shut up, Jeffrey. (laughs) But anyway, she is obviously motivated for uh, the survival of her people. Uh, And of course the, Cylons in this series are also of a different religious faith than the humans presented in the story. Wait, so she is Cylon? She is, in fact, a Cylon. Uh, anyway, so she is the number 10. Anything you want to say about her? Do you guys watch the show at all? Yeah, I've seen a few of them. I remember seeing her. I know what you're talking about. Okay. I didn't quite finish, but yeah, she's quite quite nicely built. 
Oh yeah, there, there's even like these weird allusions to how she's not just a figment of Baltar's imagination, and Implanted. she of course shows up in the epilogue of the series finale. Makes you wonder even more. What I need to finish those on. sometime. You probably do. Oh, although you could probably skip the last six ex- episodes of se- season five and just go right to the last episode and you'd be fine. That's pretty close so to what, where I am. Yeah, what is she supposed to be then? Is she supposed to be like something there's some practical explanation for? Like he's a mind worm or something or an implant in his brain? I get the feeling he's trying not to ruin one, it for us. Uh, what she is, I think, is actually one of the downfalls of the, of the show. Yeah. Because even though as much as I really love that show, there were things that they divulged in the last season that I could not reconcile with logic. Uh, and so part of her deal is, in fact, uh, I don't want to give too much away, but you almost think she's some sort of angelic being. And right. Baltar is, by the end, sort of the same thing. And then you have the character Starbuck, who almost certainly is some sort of angelic being and just disappears out of thin air in the finale. So there's, there's some bizarre shit that really I I didn't care for. But... In its entirety, awesome show. Trisha Helfer, number six. She's sexy, she's cool, and she knows how to use it. All right, number nine. This is a new edition, ladies and gentlemen, as I have, over the last week, binge-watched Netflix Daredevil series. Now, Uh-oh. I've been telling you that since last week, since I started watching this, holy shit, guys, you got to watch this. And to this moment, I don't think either of you have taken me up on this, have you? I've been busy. I saw an ad for it. Oh, that's that's nice. <laughs> uh, you you get a, a gold star. Okay, so I have to I have to out myself a little bit more than usual. I think so. Think young Buchanan here, circa nineteen eighty eight. Although I'm a child of the eighties, and I have had comic books in my possession before, the first time I ever bought a comic book was at the local five and dime, and I saw this book called Daredevil. And on the cover had some chick, some legs of this woman with like fishnet stockings. They're all messed up. Is that a machete, that comes from? And it had a messed up looking dude lying in some grass with this woman towering over him. And I said, man, that superhero is getting its ass kicked. I want to read this. So Daredevil was the very first comic book that I ever bought with any sort of, uh, intention to actually like, read the stories and get into it. Like I remember buying Spider-Man comic books when I was really little. I don't even know what happened to those, but daredevil I had for many, many years and was reading this. Uh, it was shortly after Frank Miller's second run on the title, but I was all about this, the superhero that got his ass kicked everywhere, but still managed to win despite losing the battle. Thought was, and even though I wasn't articulate enough at that point to put it to words, that's what it was. This guy was, Absolutely the underdog. So when it comes to this show that we should probably talk about on our next podcast, this guy, the Kingpin, who you've seen, if you've watched the Punisher, uh, you know, the uh, Marvel Punisher movie, you may have seen some incarnation of the Kingpin. If you watch the old Spider-Man cartoon shows, especially the ones in the 90s and the early aughts, you definitely know who I'm talking about. Anyway, this Kingpin, he's not called the Kingpin. He's just Wilson Fisk. And he's very much this shadowy figure. And the whole story, even though this is part of Marvel's collective combined universe, they, they do make allusions to the uh, events that happened at the end of the, the Avengers. So it's definitely the same thing. But there aren't going to be any of those big-name superheroes in this. And you could tell it from the get-go. Because Daredevil is just, for the most part, a normal dude who can take some punches and kick some ass when it needs to. And, man, does that work? So anyway... 
this Wilson Fisk character, he's very sympathetic in that he just wants to build a Hell's Kitchen, one of the, one of the areas of New York, the neighborhoods. He just wants to rebuild Hell's Kitchen into a nice place because this is where they've grown up. Whereas Daredevil, he sees right through this and it takes, you know, through the course of the story that you're finding out that even though Wilson Fisk is motivated to save Hell's Kitchen, by the time you're getting to the end, even he's coming to the realization that he's not the Good Samaritan. He's the bad guy who fucked up the Good Samaritan to begin with. That reminds me of the the bad guy, one of the bad guys from the Dresden Files, the gangster. Can't remember his name, Marcone. McCorney, right? Yeah, he, he's like basically no women, no kids, you know that type of shit. Keep right. out. He, he's, he's like, yeah, I'm a bad guy, but I'm going to keep out the really bad. So guys. anyway, the reason why I had, I had to include Wilson Fisk in this is because he's shaping up to be one of these Shakespearean tragic kind of characters. Who plays Fisk? Vincent D'Onofrio. Oh, oh really? Oh, <laughs> well, that's so weird. Now I'm really curious just to see this. Oh yeah, and he nails it. Like, he nails it. Like you watch like Law and Order, and he's he, one thing, and you watch Full Metal Jacket. He plays creepy well. Yeah. Oh yeah. But he, he plays different kinds of creepy well. Yeah. 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 This is. He's definitely creepy, but he's definitely a different kind of creepy in this one. Yeah. Very dark. Very dark. All right. Number eight, guys. Are you ready? Yes. Yeah. Planet of the Apes, Dr. Zayas. That's a good choice. <laughs> he's such a dick. He is <laughs> such a dick, but you know what? He knows what's going on. He yes. has no delusions about Bright Eyes, Charlton Heston's character, whatsoever. He knows what the world is, and he knows where they came from. He's but like, he's the secret guardian of this hidden knowledge that he doesn't want to get out well, well, because well, it threatens their society. What are his two titles that are so opposed to one another? Doctor. He he is like the head of he's like the head of the science and he's the head of the religion. Oh. And it's like True. That's that an interesting is one good way to fuck things up right there. So you're saying the religion and science don't mix, Jeffrey? Um, not too great. No. Uh, okay. Okay. Yeah, he's not really empathetic, but like you kind of get. Where he's, he's not really from. empathetic, like but you understand where he's coming from. Yeah, like, which is, like that's where I drew the line. line. Yeah, yeah. Which makes it. I don't. On the one hand, it's even creepier because I mean it. It echoes with us. It does. Certain residents to that, that. That this is like. He's just not happen. some cardboard cutout villain. Like this dude has very clear and reasonable expectations and motivations, and he's just doesn't really care what it takes to maintain his way of life and hiding the truth is is one of the greatest forms of evil Ooh, that was wisdom all right so number seven well although there there have been many incarnations of this character over the years whether it be russell crowe or any other broadway play you might, might have seen or in fact you can go back and say hey i read all 986 pages of that novel yeah right les miserables Inspector Javert. Now, I happen to have a great affinity for Jeffrey Rush portrayal from the 90s version of this movie that also starred Liam Neeson. You can say what you want. It also had Claire Danes and a variety of other people in as well. But Inspector Javert, what makes him such a compelling villain is that he's not a villain at all. Ooh, mine's just exploded. He's Inspector Javert. He's on the side of the law. Everything he does in the course of the book and in course of the play and in course of the movie is motivated by his legalism, the adherence to the law. No one is above the law. And of course, you'd be what in D&D they call lawful evil. 
Uh, indeed. He, I mean, it's very much like you say the same thing about Dolores Umbridge and, and Harry Potter as well. Oh, she's a bitch. Oh, yeah. We, we, we love to hate Umbridge, and I had a hard time not putting her on this list. But anyway, Inspector Javert, you can sympathize with him because everything he does is motivated by his sense of good. It's just that his sense of good isn't all that good at all. Of course, you can make the same argument about any sort of villain, but he's actually operating within the confines of the law, and he just doesn't understand the struggle that Jean Valjean is going through, and he harbors this deep-seated desire for justice, which it blurs the line between justice and revenge. What's the difference? Yeah, I always like Inspector Javert because uh, it reminds me in postmodernism, we always talk about the difference between the law and justice. And they're not one and the same. Like, the law is a construct that we create in order to try to approximate justice, but it always falls short. Yeah. And that's what he was always doing. And I, I don't know. It's just a thing. I, I, I love the idea of, of him being on the list. Oh, yeah. That's really smart. All right. Number six. I probably am going to get some hate from this, but I'm prepared to defend it. Now, when I say the word Megatron, I do not want you to think, <laughs> associate... In any way, shape, or form, the monstrosity that were the Michael Bay films. So let's just <laughs> throw that out immediately. I want nothing to do with the Michael Bay films whatsoever. They're like the prequels. They don't exist to me. What about Chris Johnson? <laughs> I don't know what we're talking about. He's the wide receiver. I think he plays for Detroit now. Oh, you mean Calvin Johnson. What's or wrong? Calvin Johnson. What's wrong with Johnson? All right. Because Megatron is so badass, that's why they gave the, the nickname. But anyway, I'm talking about the 80s cartoon version. Uh, ultimately resolving itself in the 1986 Transformers the movie animated feature, which has our boy Megatron taking his game up a few notches in that the cartoon featured him on a never-ending quest to conquer people and take their resources, which, okay, that's uh, that's sort of the plot for most villainous individuals. Thingies, yeah. But by the time you get to Transformers the movie, the animated version... You have Megatron not pulling any punches. And for a cartoon that came out in the 80s, the shit was brilliant. He goes in to a, a spaceship with the Autobots, ransacks them, murders them. And when Ironhide, one of the old stand, the old crusty standbys of the Transformers, of the Autobots, Ironhide crawls up to him, trying to get him to stop, trying some way to warn his Autobots. And Megaton, Megatron says, Foolish Autobot and shoots Ironhide in the face. In the face. I don't remember this. I have to watch that again. I mean, the, it's it's got this great hair metal soundtrack. Yeah. Well, you know, <laughs> is what it is. But actually, like it fits so well because it's it's just uh, metal theme going throughout this murderous rampage. Plus, they are all uh, metal. and you know it's rated PG. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, so they're, they're getting away with a little bit more. I was like this backstory. Wasn't he supposed to be like a slave gladiator or something, and then he worked his way up? Oh, that's and the basic just, guy. Yeah, the basic like, of it. Well, it's cool because he's like, he was the commodity, and he rose up the power, and now everything else becomes commodified as a result of that. Right. I mean, it's Spartacus like it. goes dark. Yeah. I mean, and shoots like, people in the fucking face. <laughs> we're talking about Spartacus and stuff, but like in real life, Spartacus was not against slavery they were planning on taking over an island, and they were going to have slaves. Like, the slaves were all going to be freedmen, and they were going to take their own slaves. Like, it wasn't against the institution. Yeah, almost, they just didn't want to be almost slaves. Almost everybody had slaves back then. Yeah. Except, right. except I think, for the Chinese, which they just put people in work camps for breaking even the minest, minorest of laws. And uh, they basically had slavery without slavery because they're criminals. They're just criminals. All right. 
So that's it. That's Megatron. That's a story. I, I've always loved that. It's always stuck with me. And here I am, an eight-year-old kid watching that movie, and Megatron shoots Ironhide. In the watching face. your beloveds get yeah. put down oh, like man. dogs. Shattered my world. All right, number five. Are you ready for this? Yes. Lord Voldemort. Uh, of course, this is played in the films by Rafe Fiennes, but Lord Voldemort, Voldemort is so much more than that, especially within the greater context of the novels. This guy was one badass motherfucker. Very evil child. Uh, <laughs> yes, he was, in fact, a child uh, at one time, and you get that, that those hints of the evil to come, and I plan on writing something for the website about what some of the symbolism of Voldemort's character is throughout the Harry Potter series. But this is somebody so formidable that Dumbledore basically had no answer for. He didn't know what to do with this guy. Sure as hell didn't know what to do with this kid, this precocious, somewhat murderous individual. Uh, and not only does he seek out this most esoteric of knowledge, this arcane knowledge that nobody knew, and he does it, and he is able to accomplish his goal by severing his soul, his spirit, his soul into eight different pieces, which was unthought of, unheard of. It was anathema. And he's the guy that did it. Pretty badass. Yeah, I think Rowling, didn't she say it was supposed to be because he was a product of a loveless union? He always kind of reminds me of, have you guys read Othello? Yes. Yes. You remember Iago? You know, mm -hmm. like he has to destroy Othello because... Like supposedly he was passed over for a promotion or something. It's kind of bizarre. Yeah. But um, I remember in college, I took a Shakespeare class, and they always referred to Iago in academic literature as the motiveless malignity. So that's kind of interesting. Like, that's how I feel like Voldemort is. Like, why is he evil? Like, he wants power, and he wants evil for the sake of evil. He wants immortality. It's, it's, it's motivated by his own, his own fear of dying. Well, a lot of the bad guys in stories like this, fear is a big motivator for everything right. they do. It's true. It's true. All right. I well, think everything we do is motivated, like for us in the real world, is motivated by fear of dying, too. You know, like we talk about Freud and the uh, death instinct and the, you know, survival, uh, well, the death drive and the survival instinct. In, indeed. All right. Well, I'm going to go ahead and go to my number four, and I need to uh, break some wind hearts. No, not breaking wind yet. <laughs> that might come up a little later. Uh, all right. So I'm going to say Professor Moriarty, except it's not the Moriarty that most people associate with in fact well i think more people now do associate the character moriarty with the andrew scott incarnation from the stephen moffat creation benedict cumberbatch starring sherlock all right so you've watched sherlock's jeffrey awesome they're 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 awesome jimmers have you watched sherlock i saw a little bit when they're on the holodeck what? <laughs> Wait, oh, okay. that's, moriarty, that's, that's moriarty uh that's oh, the, yeah. the butler from the nanny <laughs> Uh -huh. Like once I realized it was a butler from the night, uh, the nanny, it just completely ruined I that episode, that. those episodes for me. I'm like, oh, this is just go tell the nanny to shut up. And I, I watched a lot of the nanny. I never put two and two together, but yeah, that was right for me too. Yeah, ruined. Some of those episodes were good. I don't know. They were good until you realized it's the butler from the, from yeah, the nanny. Well, I was yeah, like, I'm, I'm done. It's I didn't not. watch the nanny, so I was cool. Well, I don't think anybody really watched the nanny. <laughs> I mean, not really. It's so hot until right. she speaks. So, uh. <laughs> Moriarty, Andrew Scott, incarnation from the Stephen Moffat, Sherlock. Uh, of course, he had his swan song in season two. But you know what? That's really all you needed. Here was a guy who was setting up Sherlock from the get-go in the show. Uh, and 
it had to germinate and flower into something. Uh, and by the time you get to his motivations for taking on Sherlock and to the true extent of Moriarty's reach throughout the world, it really gives you a clear picture on how badass this guy was. And, I, and also, in addition to that, Andrew Scott nailed the ever living shit very out of that character. And he was so messed in the head. Oh, yeah. That he would have not only just, he would not only rather die than lose, he would rather kill himself than lose. Then that goes a long ways. Yes, yes. All right. Nothing, nothing else to say about Moriarty, Andrew Scott. All right. Moving on. Uh, this is going to be a little bit of a spoiler, guys. Number three. If you haven't watched already, this character dies in season three of Game of Thrones. But how absolutely much do you hate the character of Joffrey Baratheon? Eight. A lot. Even oh. And as much as I hated him, watching that death scene was rough. It's like making, oh. my, making my eyes water. Like, holy fuck, that looks nasty. It, it, it's damn. painful. And apparently a, a lot of that is Jack Leeson's own visage. Like, they didn't really doctor that up. So he's like, really? He's basically like making himself constipated to look like that. And, <laughs> and you know, <laughs> you know, he wants to quit acting apparently. Oh, yeah. But he's like working on he's his like, PhD in philosophy and theology or something. I know. But he's such a good actor. Yeah. Yeah. He, he, yeah. And, and apparently he's a really cool guy. But holy how much shit. does it creep you out? That that the despicable person was also the cute little boy in Batman Saved Begins. Saved by the Batman Begins, yeah. <laughs> uh, anyway, but Joffrey, he is absolutely one of those characters you love to hate. I, I dare say that of all these characters, he's probably the one character I probably hate the most. He has no justifiable motivation for anything that he does. He is just one crazy some bitch. And some bitch in this case, of course, is his mother, Cersei Lannister. And who indulged his, his every fucking Yeah, and whim. his father, of course, is his uncle as well, Jamie Lannister. And uh, I'm your sister. I'm your sister. Right, right. Anyway, so he apparently ruled Westeros for a few years before our person took him down. And over the course of those few years, he really fucked some shit up, including running from the battle at the Blackwater. Uh, Lucy. Yeah, he, he was no inspiration, no help, bankrupting well, it, the kingdom. There wasn't, you know, it wasn't. It was real battle. It wasn't just, you know, torturing a prostitute to death. All right. So yeah, I, uh, I think he's an interesting choice, too, because, like, in, in picking a child, it kind of, like, plays upon us emotionally, especially a male. Because it's like you think about, like, your legacy and your seed and your progeny. And it's like, man, that could really turn out poorly for you. <laughs> that it can. Like, like what, you know, like, what, what happens when your child is a psychopath? What do you do with that? Um, probably smother it in, in its sleep. You have to give them a code. That, no, that's hard. That's uh, hard to do. You have to give them that's a, what Cersei did. You have to give them the code of Harry. Right, right, right. Joffrey Baratheon goes around killing killing other serial killers in Westeros. It'd just be other members. I think they of, made that show. It'd just be other, other members of the royals. Oh, <laughs> all right. Going to number two, guys. Are you ready for this? Yes. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> I guess Jimmers, you seem really jazzed about this one. <laughs> I'm going with... Con! Which, oh, which, right, which one con? Well, <clears throat> I do love me some Benedict Cumberbatch, although he might, not he as might big love of you too. Of Into Darkness as the uh, film that it was sort of ripped off from uh, in <laughs> The Wrath yeah. of Khan. Uh, although 
Cumberbatch is definitely a better actor than Ricardo Montalban. <laughs> uh, we have to <laughs> go with the classic incarnation, I think, on this one. Yeah. Uh, would Jimbers, would you like to set a little context of the show version of Cumberbatch? Yeah, uh, it was supposed to be in Star Trek, the original series during the eugenics wars between 1992 and 1996. They bred a race of superhumans, and some of them ended up on the USS Botany Bay traveling through space, and the Enterprise comes across them in the episode Space Seed. The name of the and- ship should have been a giveaway. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Botany Bay. Um, and uh, out of they have like ninety three pods on board, and seventy two of them are still active with survivors in them. And one of them is Khans, and his pod is failing, of course. So they have to save him, and they make heroic moves. But then immediately they wake him up, and it's very much like Nietzschean Ubermensch stuff. Like he was born to be king, you know, not not just born to be king. He was made, yeah, made yes. to be king. And so he immediately tries to take over the ship, and it, it, it's foiled because Kirk picks up a wrench and hits him over the head. <laughs> even, <laughs> with so his, they, even with his fake classic. packs? Yeah. Even with his fake packs. And so they um, they put him on trial, and uh, they, they basically decide that he's going to Alpha Seti 5 as his punishment, and he can try to start his kingdom there. Which, of course, doesn't turn out very well, because they finally get around to Star Trek 2. And uh, Their, their shit got fucked the up. Sun he's happy about the it. sun expanded or something like that? See what? Some, something with the sun expanded and and pushed and screwed up their orbit or something. They yeah, were yeah, on a yeah. nice they, they land on the wrong, wrong planet. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah, and so they ended up in, in a horrific nightmare. It was a world. nice planet, and then it got something got fucked up. Right? Yeah, they were supposed to go to a like beautiful, the, uninhabited. Only planet. thing that lived were like the earworms. Yeah. Thingies. But Kreecha said on Interscopton. <laughs> All right. Well, that's Khan. Anything else we can say about Khan other than the fact that he's pretty badass and we love to hate him? Yeah, oh! I, I feel like he's really sympathetic again. He is, also, he is, like, yeah, you're right. He is but like, what are you gonna do? Like, you were genetically engineered to be predisposed to do only one thing, and you were denied that. You know what I mean? It's like when people have, like, their pit bulls that they, they got from the shelter, and they're trying to turn into, like, a family dog and stuff. Yeah. And I'm like, if that dog, like, you know, ate one of your children, that would be really sad. But I would kind of get it from the dog's point of view. Like, like what is Khan? Like, ideally, what does he do? Like, even if he takes over Alpha Seti 5, and he starts this new home world, and he's breeding like crazy with a historian officer. Do you remember that? There was, like, a historian officer no, on the I Enterprise and Space Seed who, like, fell in love with him. I'm like, what the hell? They have, like, an officer of history. He just appeared for that episode, fell in love with Khan, helps him take over the Enterprise, and then he go- you know, she goes off to live on the, the planet with him at the end. But she was genetically inferior. How'd they, how'd they manage yeah, that? Yeah, because it was true love. Oh, Well, he's got the Super Seed. <laughs> Gonna breed it out of her. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um. Yeah, but like, what what do you do with yourself at that point? What if you're you gone, you know. All right, guys. Uh, I don't think I'm gonna get a much argument out of anybody for this one. For number one, Darth Vader, <gasps> the only character in history who's not redeemed by his good side, but the character Anakin Skywalker is actually redeemed by his evil side. Not a Thanks, bold George choice, Lucas. but a good one. I thought he was redeemed. He was another one. He was Shit, motivated by fear. It. He was motivated by fear throughout the whole thing. Oh, but uh, finally, let's that not refer to the prequels too much. But finally, that fear took on a good target: the fear of losing his son. All he wanted, all he wanted to do was save uh, Padme. It didn't happen. So then, when the thought of losing his son was like, "I oh, fuck this." Ooh, bye. I got you. I got you. But yeah, uh, I see what you're saying. That's interesting. No, it's not. It was fear. It's not a gutsy pick by any stretch, but it's the necessary one because this guy. Is the ultimate badass. The, yeah, he, but the he does entire, not take shit from anybody. But the cool thing and, about that is he's the ultimate badass, but his entire story arc is motivated by fear. Well, yeah, I see what you're saying, and it kind of reminds me of like Romeo and Juliet. You know what I mean? Like um, we're talking about like 
love and fear are completely intertwined. Love and hate are completely intertwined. Indeed. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know. That, that's a really interesting point you brought up with this. Because, I mean, it's supposed to be at the end, like, they're bringing balance to the Force also. Like, yeah. he loves so much, someone so much that it instills fear and hate in him. Yeah. It, it generates that. I should have thought that one out. There's only two of them, and there's lots of us. Let's bring balance. Well, no. yeah. I'm also more motivated by the fact that by the time you get to the third the third movie of the prequels and he becomes Darth Vader, you're like, oh, fucking, oh, I had to sit through like nine hours of this bullshit to get to this point. Oh, <laughs> really my God. Really, nine hours, yeah. Whiny little well, bitch. Yeah, well, it pisses me off because like they don't even talk about this that much. You know, they talk about, you know, like, fear leads to hate, hate leads to, you know. And I'm like, That's Buddhism. Yeah, and, and I'm like, all right, all right. But then, you know, like when you get down to brass tacks and they're sitting there and it's Luke and the Emperor and Vader in the Death Star 2, it's just like, turn to the dark side. And it's like, well, what are the advantages and disadvantages of making this life decision? Does the dark side <laughs> Just said, your father is that, turned. Is that full, full coverage? Yeah. Full coverage on that dark side? Well, this is one of these things. We always give a pass in the original trilogy because we all talk about how like good it is, but like that's something that never made any sense to me. He was he was so he didn't he wanted to be with his son, but he didn't think much of himself after everything he'd done, and he was he was afraid he would not be able to turn away. It's like like an alcoholic trying to give up the bottle. It's like they want to do it, but how? Is that really what it is? Because yeah. I just thought it was they the, had this the abstract dark idea. Is, the, of dark the dark side, side. is very very. Uh, it's easy. It's easy. Just do See, it. I think it's, it's more so about easy. imposing your will on other people in general. But then, you know, like at the end too, like That's what is the, the what is the emperor's like ultimate argument for the dark side is like you could shoot fucking lightning out of your hands, you know, like <laughs> and you can uh, get it wasn't old like you're yeah you're heart- ugly and have saggy scrotum just like me. <laughs> it wasn't it wasn't like you know your heart is going to be free from fear and hatred and stuff. It's like you can fucking electrocute people at will. Indeed, uh, of course, the other thing that we have to consider is the fact that uh he was looking for immortality as well so it's a little bit tied into the voldemort thing yeah, all right well yeah. that's gonna wrap up the unrepentant list man for this week i make no apologies repent i will not repent Da <laughs> da